The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. So today we are talking about Isaiah, and we're doing so in the context of Advent. As as you guys know, this is the first uh, week. uh, This Sunday represents the first Sunday of Advent, the first week of Advent. And um, we're doing a new series here at Crossroads this year for Advent called The Songs of Christmas. And you can see it behind me uh, on the screen. We are going to have um, four songs leading up to Christmas Eve um, that, that are in the scriptures that remind us of the coming of Christ. The first one today is Isaiah's song, and it's called He Shall Be Called. So who is the deliverer and what, and what shall he be called? And as you think about songs... Um, songs are interesting because songs and people that write songs, we call them songwriters, they, they write songs for a specific time, a specific place, to a specific people, um, or, or to a specific person sometimes. But sometimes we can relate meaning and significance to these songs in our own lives. For example, there's a song out, um, out right now um, by a guy named Louis Capaldi, and it's called Someone You Loved. Um, and and it's, uh, yeah, some of you guys are like already crying because it's kind of a sad song. Um, it, it, it's out there. And, um, and that song was written about loss, a very specific type of loss. But if anyone in here has ever experienced loss, they can relate when they hear the words of that song. A few years ago, there was a song um, by a woman named Taylor Swift um, that goes something along the lines of, We are never, ever, ever getting back together. Right? That was written to a very uh, specific person in, in, in Miss Swift's life. And, um, and, and even though it was written to a very specific person, um, there are probably hundreds of millions of middle school, high school, college age um, girls who are singing that song and some of you who are singing that song um, about somebody in your own life. Or maybe you can think back to a song that was written over 50 years ago by a man named Bob Dylan, The Times They Are A-Changin'. Um, that song was written, again, in a very specific context, um, referring to a very specific um, uh, series of events in, in, um, in world history. But yet, we can listen to the words of that song today and oh, how familiar it sounds, right? In the same way, um, even though there's a difference in, in, in when songs are written and the meaning that we can relate to them, in the same way, we know that there's a difference between the biblical world and our own. There's always a difference. For example, um, in, in the Old Testament, uh, their lives were very different than ours. Um, they are people just like we are people, but their lives are different. Their world is totally different. We have things like Wi-Fi, automobiles, air conditioning, and Apple Pay. Um, there, there's a gap between how they lived and how we lived. 
And every time we read the scriptures, there's always a gap that we have to bridge between the world of the scriptures and our world. Thankfully, though, God's God's word is a a living document and and the Holy Spirit inspired it. And there is a universal message for everybody um, in the scriptures. And so when you think about how you read the Bible, you always have to think about that gap. There's a gap between the world of the scriptures, the original context and and where we are today. Um, Well, today we're going to add another layer to that because we're reading prophecy and I, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, how to read prophecy, because a lot of times people get to a book like Isaiah and they know it's prophecy and they're like, oh, man, prophecy. There's all these like metaphors and these things going on. And I don't really understand like what the figurative language is. Well, when you read prophecy, there's actually three worlds you have to consider. There's three. You have the world of the prophet. All right. So so what was the world like when the prophet was alive? Then you have the world of fulfillment. So what was the context in which the prophecy was fulfilled? Then you have our world, our world today. So let's talk real quick about those. And then we're going to spend time this morning kind of breaking those down as we as we read Isaiah together. Um, So how to read prophecy. First, the world of the prophet. A prophet's words were written for an original audience, speaking God's word to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. And sometimes there would be near term fulfillment to what the prophet said. Then you have the world of fulfillment. In this, in this instance, in Isaiah 9, this prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Jesus. That's when the prophecy actually um, came, came to fulfillment. And I, I want to read to you, just, just to show you that, I want to read to you uh, real quickly from Matthew. It's uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. I want to read that to you just so you can see. This was written, by the way, hundreds of years after Isaiah's prophecy. But listen to it. The land of Zebulun and the land of of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Sounds very familiar to Isaiah 9, doesn't it? Then we have our world. So our world has to do with the universal truth of God's word, right? Isaiah has something to say to us as well here in Brooklyn this morning as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ this Advent season. And so just to talk about that a little bit, let's jump a little bit deeper into the background of Isaiah's world. So Isaiah's world, uh, the writing of Isaiah takes place during the period of time where the kingdom of Israel and Judah were split. All right, so quick history lesson here. You have Israel. All right, it, it, it was one, one nation, one people of God. Then we have, we have a split. There's Judah in the south, and then there's Israel in the north. So it was a split kingdom, a divided kingdom at the time Isaiah wrote. Um, many scholars believe Isaiah lived in Jerusalem. So if you're wondering, are they in the north, are they in the south? Jerusalem was in Judah, which is the southern kingdom. That's where Isaiah lived, and that's who he's writing to. But he's writing during the reigns of four kings of Judah. Uh, Their names are Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And as he's writing this, in his lifetime, as he's writing this, um, he's in the southern kingdom. But what's going on in the northern kingdom? In the northern kingdom, there is political struggle, there's spiritual decline, and eventually this would lead to the fall of, of the northern kingdom to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. You don't have to remember that date. It's not on the test. Um, 722 BC. So we have the northern kingdom. They're in a period of political struggle and spiritual decline. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? 
here in the United States, you could say that we're in sort of a national crisis right now. Um, there's many people that are trying to answer the question of what is a good American, but they're answering it in very different ways. And depending on which side of the political spectrum you might stand on, um, you're looking at the other side and you're seeing all kinds of boogeymen. All right, so, so, so you're, you're looking at the other side and you're seeing boogeymen on both sides, but we're not always seeing the same boogeymen, right? Um, we all, if you, if you ask a Republican, an independent, a libertarian, a Democrat, what's, what's going on with the country, you're going to get different answers. Um, we're, we're in a period of political struggle and we're also in a period of spiritual decline. Uh, here in our country. And so Isaiah, he's writing to the southern kingdom and he's warning them against making the same spiritually damaging decisions that the northern kingdom has made. So he's writing to people in the south and he's saying, look at what's going on up there. Look at what it's doing and, and, and look at the consequences of it. And he's given a warning, right? He's also trying to remind his readers of God's covenantal relationship with his people. And he's trying to, to warn them. He's trying to say, look, there's consequences if you continue in your sin. He's, he, he, he's a prophet. He's speaking God's word. He's giving a message from God and he's saying there's consequences for continuing in your sin. Don't do it. And then lastly, and what we're going to talk, spend a little more time on later, is Isaiah is speaking hope to people. He's speaking hope to God's people. He tells them, he says, yes, you can see that it looks like everything, everything's going the wrong direction. Everything's going the wrong way. He said, but I want to give you hope and I want to tell you that one day there's coming a deliverer. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. So then let's talk about the world of fulfillment. So the world of fulfillment for this passage, it, it occurs during the time of Christ. And, um, and we find that if, if you're new to Christianity and you're wondering, like, okay, what's, what's this Bible thing about? Well, um, we have the Old Testament in the Bible and then we have the New Testament. The New Testament starts off with um, four books called Gospels that chronicle the life of Christ. And so that's, that, that's where we see uh, the fulfillment of this. Um, but in Isaiah's passage, as he's prophesying for, for what's going on, uh, as he's prophesying, he's saying Jesus is given four names. The coming deliverer, he will, he, he will have four names. He shall be called. He will be called. And, and, and he runs off four names. He says, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And um, what I want to do today with you guys is I want to walk through the life of Christ and show you how Jesus was each of those things. How he was a wonderful counselor. How he was a mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so let's start with Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful counselor. What does that word even mean? Wonderful counselor. What do we do with that? Wonderful counselor means two things. It's two things put together. It means someone that does wonderful things and someone that gives wise counsel. A wonderful counselor. The Messiah's life and work will cause us to be full of wonder. Um, the people that Isaiah was originally writing to, they were looking forward to the Messiah we have the benefit of looking back to Christ um, because we are on this side of the cross. And so we look back and we say, we say, yeah, like Jesus's life and work really does leave us full of wonder. Um, and, and, and when the Bible uses the word wonder, think of it as a mind boggling type of wonder. OK, so like a wonder that's that's so it's not just like, oh, isn't that wonderful? Like you hear people say that, right? It's like, oh, isn't that wonderful? Not like that. Think about almost an incomprehensible like I don't really understand like what's going on here and I know it's good but I can't even get my hands around like how good this is. 
And so here's some examples of that. Um, Jesus was born of a virgin. Pretty remarkable, right? Pretty wonderful. He was born of a virgin. He also had the power to heal. Uh, Matthew 4.23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus' teaching was also astonishing to people. It wasn't just good. It wasn't just helpful. It was astonishing. Uh, Mark 1.22 says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Because there were a lot of people teaching in Jesus' day. There were a lot of religious leaders and scribes, and, and, and they were teaching. Um, but, the, but what Mark's saying here is like, no, Jesus' teaching was different. It was wonderful. It was astonishing. Um, he taught as one who had authority, not as our, as our regular teachers, as our scribes. And in Matthew 13, uh, 54, it says, And Jesus, coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Church, another thing that's really interesting is about Jesus' life and work is a lot of his teaching and a lot of the things that he said were counterintuitive and even countercultural for the time. They were counterintuitive and countercultural. They were, they were not what you would expect him to say. And, and, and I want to give you guys a couple examples of those. Um, in Matthew 5, uh, verses 11 through 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What? He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil at you. He said, blessed are you. And, and, and he gives a command. He says, rejoice. He says, you should be glad about that. Church, that's counterintuitive. That is not what you would expect to hear. Um, you, you would expect to hear something like, when other people pat you on the back and tell you how, how much they like you and how good you are, um, then, then you should rejoice and be glad. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You should do that even when they persecute you. In Luke 6, 27, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's about as countercultural as it gets. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Um, lo- loving your enemies is hard. I don't know if you've ever had to try that before um, in, in your life, but, but that's very, very hard to do. But Jesus says do it. And another thing that makes Jesus a wonderful counselor is that he also had a different level of wisdom about people. He had a level of wisdom about people that people that, that wasn't common. Here's a great example. In John 2.25, it says, it's talking about Jesus. It says, And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus, it says, doesn't need anybody else to tell him about somebody. He already knows what's in them. He has a wisdom about people that, that we just don't, that is not common. <laughs> he knows about people in ways that you can't know about people, if that makes sense. Um, here's, here, here's two great examples of that. Great examples of that. Um, Jesus encounters in, during his ministry a man named Nicodemus and a woman at a well that we know as the Samaritan woman. Okay, so he, kind of, he encounters these people at different times in his ministry. Um, but these are very different people. They could not be more different. Nicodemus is a religious leader. Nicodemus would have known the scriptures. He, he may have even had the Old Testament memorized. Um, he was seeking God. He, he comes looking for Jesus because he has questions and he wants answers about who Jesus is. The Samaritan woman 
um, was indifferent to spiritual things. She was, she, you know, she was indifferent. Like, it didn't really affect her day-to-day. Um, she would have been viewed as immoral at the time um, because she had several husbands um, that, that she had kind of gone through. And the person who she was living with at the time was not even her husband. So she would have been seen as immoral. And she was from an outcast society. She was from an outcast society, the, 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 the Sumerians. I mean, they were, they were people that, that, that good Jews didn't associate with. And instead of seeking Jesus, Jesus actually goes to her. Um, he, he makes it a point to go and, and to meet her. Um, they're very, very different people, right? But Jesus knows what they need. He knows about them because he's a wonderful counselor. He knows that they both needed to be born again. He knows that they both needed a savior and he knows everything about them. (laughs) Um, He tells the woman at the well things about her life. And she's like, and her response is to go into worship and to share um, all that news with the town. Because she, she says, there's a man who told me everything about me that nobody else could have ever known. Jesus truly is a wonderful counselor. That's what a wonderful counselor is. Jesus is also called a mighty God here in Isaiah. Mighty God. Um, So that's one of the names of Jesus. Mighty God. So why is Jesus the mighty God? Well, he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Um, And what that means without getting into like a a whiteboard and and drawing um, and, and trying to use analogies. What that basically means is that he is fully God. So Jesus is fully God. As much as God can be God, Jesus is God. Okay. He's also omnipotent. That's a big word. Basically means he has all power. It's a big word, omnipotent, but he has all power. He's all powerful. If God's all powerful, Jesus as God is all powerful. And he had the power that was needed to accomplish his father's mission. He was mighty. He could do, he could do what he needed to do to accomplish the mission that he was given. And here's the cool part, and, um, and, and this is the fun part. Nothing stands in his way or knocks him off course. Nothing ever stands in Jesus' way or knocks him off course or or deviates him from his plan or causes him to have to reroute or anything like that. No, Jesus accomplishes all that he pleases because he is mighty God. Um, By the way, many people tried and failed to knock him off of of his course um, during, during his life and his ministry. Many people tried and failed. First, the disciples tried and failed. There's an occasion in the scriptures, his own disciples, his own, his own guys, they basically, they, they try and they fail. And there's an occasion in the scriptures where Jesus goes and he calls one of them Satan to his face. <laughs> to his face. He goes to his face. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're in the way of, what, of, of me accomplishing my father's mission. Like, you're in the way. Um, so his own disciples try and fail. The religious leaders who were very powerful. All right. So we're talking about power. Jesus is mighty God. Right. The deliverer is going to be mighty God. The religious leaders at the time during the life of Jesus were extremely powerful. They controlled everything. They had influence. People listened to them, respected them. They tried to derail Jesus. They fail. Finally, you have the Roman government. The Roman government steps in. Talk about powerful at the time. The Roman government was extremely powerful, okay? They controlled, the, I mean, they were, the, they were the world empire at the time. They try to stop him. They can't stop him from his mission. Satan tries to stop him to his face from his mission, tries to, tries to catch Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. Um, the spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. He, he gets tempted by Satan three times. Um, and, 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 Jesus, and Jesus tells him, he says, not today, Satan. We're not going to do that. I have a plan. I have a mission. This is what I came here to accomplish. And, and I'm going to do it. So everybody tries and fails 
to try to knock God off its plan. Um, what are some other ways that we know Jesus is mighty God? Well, he walks on water. He walks on water. Um, I tried that once. Didn't go well. He tells severe storms to stop. He tells a severe storm to stop and it stops. He uses his voice, just his voice, to make demons flee. He heals those who are sick. He heals them. He doesn't give them a pill. He doesn't prescribe them anything. He doesn't send them to physical therapy. He heals them. He makes blind people see. He makes crippled people walk. He even removes leprosy which is a life-threatening disease um, from people's bodies. He, he makes it as if it wasn't ever there. And, and, and if that's not enough, Jesus was also known on occasion to raise the dead. He raised the dead. And even if you're not a religious person or you're not really a spiritual person, you have to acknowledge that some kind of great power is at work when dead people start living again. Right? He raises the dead. But most of all, most of all, the reason he is mighty God is he defeats death himself by rising from the grave on the third day. And he alone has the power to forgive sin. He alone has the power to offer us salvation. Salvation actually requires his power. Jesus is our mighty God. He's our mighty God. Everlasting Father is the next name that's given for Jesus. And this name, I get it. It often causes confusion. Because we know that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not God the Father. He's not God the Father. He's the Son of God. So why, does he, why is he given the name Everlasting Father? Um, what is Isaiah saying here? What's he talking about? He's referring to God as the Father of time. So we see time, we see time um, in a different way than God sees time because we, we are in time, all right? We are currently in time, right? Um, so we see, hey, this happened here, this happened here, and you know, I think this is going to happen in the future. This was the past, this is where I'm at right now, and I think this is what's going to come in the future. Um, God's the father of time. He's looking at the whole thing from a distance, and he sees the whole board, if that makes sense. He sees it all. He also rules, his rule, the rule that it talks about here that's coming, Jesus' rule, he will rule tenderly as a father would care for his own household. He rules tenderly as a father would care for his own. Also, why is he everlasting father? Well, his rule will never end. It's everlasting. It's not never lasting, it's everlasting. It never, ever, ever will end. It will be for all time. And Isaiah also, in addition, just to throw some more kind of Old Testament context in there for you, Isaiah is probably referring to the promise that God made with King David. In 2 Samuel 7.16, God says this to David. He makes him a promise. He says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God makes a promise to King David that, hey, one day somebody from your family, somebody down the line from you, um, is going to have a rule and, and a throne that will be established forever. That person is Jesus. He's our everlasting father. Then we have Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace of the whole world. He's the Prince of Peace of the whole world. Think about this. He's a ruler. He's a king, right? Every good king and every good ruler wants peace for his people. I mean, I mean, I mean if, you, if you were to do a poll of all world leaders, um, 99% of them would say, I, I want peace. I want peace for my people. I want peace for my people. Um, all the good ones, at least. That, that's what they would say. They want peace for their people. 
Jesus accomplishes that peace for us because we are given peace with God and we're also given the peace of God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace with God and he also gives us the peace of God. And eventually in the new heavens and the new earth, um, in the eternal state, when, 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 all, when all things are, are put away, uh, we will have eternal peace under his rule and reign um, forever and ever and ever and ever. And when Jesus was on earth, during, during the time of fulfillment, when, when, he was on, when he was on earth, he brought peace to many, many people. Here's, here's how he did that. Jesus taught them how to be saved. It brought peace to people. Jesus taught them how to have their sins forgiven. It brought peace to people when he did that. Jesus taught them how to be reconciled with God. They realized their relationship with God was broken. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you that I'm the way to be reconciled to God. And then Jesus showed them how to love one another. So where there was strife came peace. And people began to experience peace on such a different level, in such a different way, that when we look at the New Testament, we see evidence that people began to worship Jesus as God because of the peace that he brought in their lives. So then that brings us to our world. We know that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Um, We know he's mighty God. We know he's everlasting father. We know he's prince of peace. So what does that have to do with us? Today, as you know, it's the first day of Advent. Advent's a season um, on the Christian church calendar where we look forward. We wait. We, we, We behold the coming of Christ that we celebrate on Christmas. And I know that this season can be can be expressed uh, by you in, in maybe very different ways. I, I know there's probably a spectrum of sorts, and I know there's two ends. Um, some, some of you, when you think about this season, uh, we, call it, we call it the Advent season, or um, you know, our, our world calls it the Christmas season or the holidays. When you think about the holidays or about Christmas, it's all nostalgic. It's all fun. You know, you have um, Clark Griswold, uh, um, a, um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, that's playing on the TV. Maybe It's a Wonderful Life is out there. Um, Mariah Carey is on repeat on your, on your playlist, right? Um, and you are rocking around the Christmas tree. Right? Like that, that's what the holidays are for you. That's, and, and you have nothing but positive memories, and, and it's a lot of fun. Um, you need a reminder today to reflect and to worship Christ during this season and to not miss the point. Because it's easy when the holidays and Christmas, it's, when it's all fun and the presents start piling up and the kids are going, which one's mine? Um, and, and you see like the wrapping paper has like a tear in it and you're like, did you tear it? No, I didn't tear it. I, didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but but like when it's all fun and everybody's getting excited and oh, we're going to grandma's house and all this and that, it's easy to miss Christ. It's easy to miss Christ in, in that season. When, when that's how you view the holidays. And so you just need a reminder from this passage today um, to worship your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, and your prince of peace. But then I know for some of you, for some of us in here, I know Christmas is a lonely season. I know it's a painful season. I know it's a season where your current circumstances, your current pains, your current hurts, um, the obstacles that you feel like are standing in front of you in life, that they start to creep in and they start to tempt us to forget about God's promises and fulfillments. And you need to hear this morning that your deliverer is here. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. You need to hear that and you need to know that your deliverer is here when the holidays get lonely or the holidays get painful for you. So the, the title of the sermon is He Shall Be Called. So who has come? Who is he? He shall be called. Who is he? He's a perfectly wonderful counselor. He's here to help ease your worries, ease your anxiety, and to give you hope in the midst of your suffering. The one, who's, the one who has come is a God of infinite power, infinite power, who can accomplish the awesome plan he has for your life, just as he accomplished his father's mission here on earth. The one who has come is eternal, and he loves like a perfect father, even if your father did not. I know sometimes we hear the word father and we wonder, we, we, we might say, well, that's great. But when I think of father, I don't think of the same thing the Bible talks about. Jesus is the one who is a perfect, perfect father in the way that he loves us. And we saw that when he went to the cross for us. He gave of himself for the benefit of us. And who has come? The Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace has come. Sometimes the last adjective we will ever use to describe this time of year is peace. Am I right? Does it feel very peaceful when your calendar fills up? Um, when you have extra errands to run? Um, when, when you bicker with your family? Uh, wh- whatever it is. Does it feel peaceful all the time? But Jesus, remember, Jesus offers us peace with God and the peace of God during this season. Um, as, as we start to wrap up and as the band comes up, um, I, I just want, to, uh, want you to hear the words of Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes, he's a Bible scholar. Um, he summarizes this passage. And uh, yeah, just as our worship team is getting ready to come lead us, I just want you to hear what he says about Jesus. Listen to these words. Look at Jesus. As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let's enjoy him. And as the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we were still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. And that brings us uh, today to the gospel. Jesus offers you and I forgiveness of sins And he offers us everlasting life. Jesus offers that. It's an offer. It's a gift. When we think about Christmas, we think about gift giving, right? We just do. It's it's what we've been trained to think about since we were little. Um, And that's not all bad because Jesus gave us the greatest gift we could ever have. He offers us forgiveness of our sin and he offers us everlasting life. And that that can be yours today. You'll have the opportunity today to confess your sin to him. To repent of your sin, if you're wondering what that word means, repent, repentance, it's a big word, theological word. Basically, it just means do a 180, do a U-turn. You're heading one way, you're heading towards sin, you're heading towards death, you're heading towards destruction. Do a 180, do a U-turn, and go the other direction towards Jesus. You confess, you repent, and then you trust in Christ. You trust that he died for your sins on the cross and that he rose again, and that when he said it is finished, he meant it, um, and, and, and that he offers you eternal life, everlasting life. Um, and so as we come here to the, to the end of our, our time together, um, we're going to do communion. And you know each week we give you the opportunity 
uh, to do uh, a few different things. It's a time of response in our service. So we're going to have, uh, we have the elements ready, the, the bread and the cup. Uh, they're there for you should you choose to come and to receive communion. You'll also have an opportunity to pray, uh, to, to, to be in your seat um, one-on-one. If you need to work things out with God, take space, do that. Um, if you need prayer, if you want to pray with somebody or somebody to pray with you or for you, um, I will be at the front. Our deacons will be at the front. We would love to pray for you. And you'll have an opportunity to sing, to sing. The, the, the Bible tells us sing. It, it, it tells us to praise his name um, with, with, with joy, with gladness, and, and, and loudly. And our band's going to lead us in a song here in just a moment. And um, church, when, when, you come, when you come today, if you're not a Christian or you're unsure about this whole Christianity thing, and in a moment when everybody comes up and people start coming forward to receive communion, if you're unsure about that, I would just say, hey, sit, sit out the communion part. Uh, just observe. Just watch people who have already made a decision to, to follow the Lord. Watch them. Um, because communion is a time where we remember what Christ has done for us. The, the bread uh, that, we, that we receive represents his body, which was broken for us on the cross. The, the uh, juice in the cup, it represents Christ's blood that was shed and spilled for us. And so um, that, all, that, that only has meaning if, if you follow Christ. And so if you haven't done that yet, consider receiving Christ while everybody else receives communion. Um, again, it's the greatest gift you can have. And so church, in a moment, um, when you're ready, um, won't you stand and won't you come? Thank you.